Whether you're a professional designer, home sewer, maker, or simply a fashion enthusiast, we all have one very key thing in common. Inspiration is essential to what we do. Today, we are bringing you a special edition episode that is nothing but that key ingredient. Inspiration, inspiration, and even more, inspiration. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Threaded Together, a podcast that stitches together home sewing and high fashion. In the last month, we went to four exhibits and a book launch in London, and we can't wait to tell you all about them. We're your hosts. I'm Tracy. I'm Rebecca. And we can't wait to share this bonus episode with you. We had so much to talk about that we decided rather than adding all of this incredible inspiration as a footnote in another episode, we would give it its own dedicated slot. Episode nine and a half or or a (laughs) bonus episode. (laughs) Or should we stick with round numbers and call it episode 10? (laughs) Let's do that and just keep this as episode number 10. And in this episode, we'll be telling you all about each of the exhibits we went to, all of the information about it, if you want to explore more, and if there's the ability to see it for yourself. We'll also be sharing everything we learned and took away from the exhibits so that you too can share in the experience, even if you can't visit them. And it's not just that, Tracy. We have so many great findings and learnings from visiting all of the exhibits, from learning about a designer's career in the 30 years of fashion, to seeing their work on display in the crown to couture collection. Not to mention we had some funny stories from the experiences as well. We know you're going to love this episode. So it's probably best if we start with what we did, Tracy, since there was just so much, wasn't there? Yes. On the first day, we did the 30 Years of London Fashion exhibit at the London Design Museum and the Crown to Couture exhibit at Kensington Palace. Then day two was the Victorian Albert Museum. So we started at the Diva exhibit and then we went to the Gabrielle Chanel exhibit. And then in the evening, we returned again to the v <laughs> to <laughs> to see Tom Brown in conversation with Charlie Portia. And it was also a book signing event. It was a jam-packed trip, but so exciting and more importantly, so inspiring, Tracy. Let's jump in exhibit by exhibit, sharing what it was, what we thought about each exhibit. And at the end, we can share all the links and books and all that good stuff. Does that sound good? Sounds like a perfect plan. Yes. Okay. So the first exhibit we went to was the Rebel 30 Years of London Fashion, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the British Fashion Council's New Gen program. And the New Gen program is an initiative that supports the best emerging fashion design talent with the aim of building global high-end brands of the future. It tells the story of many of these young designers and follows the careers of several now fashion superstars that originated in that program. The 30 Years of London Fashion exhibit was sponsored by Alexander McQueen. And as a result, it also had some incredible archival and recreated looks from McQueen's early collections. Okay, so let's talk about some of our highlights from it. When we walked into the exhibit, the first thing that jumped out at me was this incredible work by Richard Quinn, a designer who's known for using lots of head-to-toe print in his work. There was was this absolutely fabulous coat, trousers, and a top with gloves and shoes, all made with metallic floral printed mylar foil. Mm. It was a piece from 2018, and it was an absolutely incredible way to kick off the exhibit. So since the exhibit was sponsored by McQueen, there was a very special room in the exhibit dedicated to 
early Alexander McQueen. And that was a highlight for me. Part of McQueen's Taxi Driver Autumn Winter 93 collection is recreated. And as you see the pieces, you hear some audio by Simon Ungless, who worked with McQueen on the early collections. And he tells the surreal story of how after the show, they hit the nightclubs and decided the best place to keep the collection (laughs) was in bin bags, black bin bags hidden (laughs) behind bins. (laughs) And the next morning, the bags were gone and the entire collection lost, presumably, to landfill. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Can you imagine, Tracy? It was such a crazy story, but also such an interesting window into their perspective at the time and what life was like in London. The club scene was a big influence on McQueen and quite a few designers at the time. And there was even a room at the exhibit dedicated specifically to club influence clothing. We were discussing one of the recreations and Tracy, you sent me a post on Instagram because we were trying to figure out because you couldn't remember what it was made out of. Did you figure out what it was? I think it was rubberized lace. I'm normally really good at taking a picture of the card that accompanies a dress that I want to photograph so that I have all the info. But for some reason, I didn't do that. And I don't think you did either, Rebecca. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) That was a habit, Tracy, I picked up from you by the end of all of the exhibits. But unfortunately, (laughs) at the beginning, I hadn't caught on quite yet. (laughs) But there are some posts on Instagram we can link to that looks at that dress that we can share. So we will do that. There were also several jackets on display in that McQueen section, as well as an original pair of the Bumpster pants, all of which were just so amazing to see in person. On the Bumpsters, I was quite surprised to see that the zipper or closure actually extended underneath the crotch of the trouser. And I have never seen anything like that in my life. (laughs) I don't know if that was purely for function or was kind of a joke. It was really incredible to see. It doesn't sound comfortable to sit down. It doesn't sound comfortable to get on. No, it does not. The jackets uh, that they had, they had a few that were uh, lent out from some private collections, were really beautiful works of classic tailoring. But the magic of those pieces was really to see how specific dart and seam lines were moved just enough to reshape collars and the lines of the jacket in unexpected ways. In case you're listening and you weren't aware, Alexander McQueen was a Savile Row trained tailor before even going to school to get his master's at Central St. Martin's. And these early jackets of his really demonstrated a complete mastery of the art of tailoring. In another room in the exhibit, there were quite a few pieces from student collections from the new gem participants. There were so many incredible pieces, such as an outfit crocheted out of woven ribbon and one of Molly Goddard's first tool dresses, included alongside her gorgeous blue tool creation were several of her sketches ideating the creation as well as drawings where she had sketched on top of a vintage Pierre Cardin advertisement which was so interesting to see. And the quote from her next to her beautiful blue tool dress really stood out to me. It said, I remember my tutor Sarah Gretzi saying, just go bigger, explore. It was very much fun realising that there was no kind of limit. What stood out to you about all of that Fabulous work, Rebecca. There was so much, Tracy. In that room in particular, 
what I really loved was they had so many sketches and I guess behind the scene views of the creative processes of each of these designers, which was a huge highlight for me. I think that's a perspective of so many designers work that isn't shared very often. And it was a real treat to see. There were also early pieces from some very well-known designers, such as Simone Rocha, who's quite the industry darling at the moment. The exhibit had a garment of hers that was a plastic bodice with woven yarn coming out of it. And it was simply gorgeous and so different from what we now see on her runways. Yes, we love Roxanda. And there was a tool dress. Maybe I'm completely drawn to tool dresses, but this <laughs> incredible tool dress top with a huge bow headpiece by Noel Stewart and the dress is described as a cloud. What struck me about the piece was the comment that was posted with it saying, my fabrics were all I could afford off market carts or leftovers, Shepherd's Bush Market. And wow. to see something so striking, because it really was striking, made mm -hmm. with fabric off of market carts is really, really inspiring. It really was. And I think you hit on a great point on the exhibit overall, Tracy. The placards that accompanied each piece were very descriptive and include details such as fiber content of the creations, which was so helpful and informative and unfortunately wasn't the case at every exhibit we went to over those two days. No, they really, really were top-notch um, <laughs> comments, I guess, <laughs> on the, at that exhibition. As we had said earlier, there was a big focus on the influence of the London club scene on fashion at the time. And there was a room dedicated to looks created by several designers in there that were absolutely stunning. One that stood out to me was this look that lives rent-free in my head before <laughs> I even saw the exhibit called the Knit Monster. It's a jacquard knit outfit with trousers, shoes, a puffer vest, and even a balaclava with a mohawk on it. And it's simply divine. The outfit was created by the brand Sibling, and it was so so special to me to see it in person and to be able to see that the knitted puffer vest was actually coated with something to make it waterproof, I would assume. And it was just so interesting and something that would never translate on a magazine page. So mm. it was really incredible to see. Throughout the entire exhibit, there was a concerted effort made to call out sustainability and sustainable designs, which we really loved. There was this one piece near the end of the exhibition that we were both so struck by, by Faustine Steinmetz. And to set the scene on this piece, the quote next to it says, when did it become the norm to own five of everything and throw them away? When did we stop seeing clothes as precious objects? And so taking old jeans, she has shredded them, cut them down to create new yarn, hand weaved them on a loom without any electricity, and then recreated a beautiful denim piece, a denim jacket and a pair of jeans. So strikingly beautiful and a real statement to slow fashion. That work was so incredible. I went back to those pieces multiple times to investigate them further. They were such works of art and we will absolutely have to share the photos that we took of those because they're really, really something special. So if you want to see The Rebel 30 Years of London Fashion in person, it's at the Design Museum in London until the 11th of February. 
You can find some photos of it online. Also wasn't a formal book accompanying the exhibit, just a little catalog that you could buy that featured some of the designs in the exhibit. Tracy, neither you or I really thought that that was necessary to purchase. So perhaps a good memento, but not kind of scratching the surface of being an all-encompassing view of the exhibit. We will be sure to post pictures on our website, theregistertogetherpodcast.com. And we have been sharing photos on social media as well. And that will be the case for all of the exhibits that we're discussing today. After the 30 Years of London Fashion Exhibit, we trotted over to the Crown to Couture exhibit. And Tracy, can you tell us what the exhibit was all about? Yes. So Crown to Couture was an exhibition at Kensington Palace. And the exhibition draws parallels between today's red carpet and the Georgian royal court in the 18th century. And why don't we start off with our thoughts on this, since it was a bit different than the 30 years exhibit we had just been to. Yeah, so it was, in my opinion, a teeny bit of a mishmash and not always very clear of the parallels that it was attempting to draw between Mm -hmm. the Georgian court and modern day red carpets. I think part of it was probably the heat and the crowds and the rooms were incredibly small and dark, which made it a bit um, I don't know, claustrophobic perhaps, but maybe if you saw it in an exclusive viewing, you'd get the intended takeaway. Agreed. There were some incredible pieces though. And what I really loved was visiting it straight after viewing the Rebel 30 Years of Fashion because there was an overlap of some of the designers we'd just seen. And Giles Deacon was one of those designers. At 30 Years of London Fashion, we were drawn to the Odyssey print shirt shown with a feather applique skirt and the print on the shirt was quite unique and memorable in a terracotta brown colour on cream silk. I had also been drawn to the colour choice on this incredible yellow and red striped jacket by Giles Deacon. And if I remember, there was some interesting gather details on the sleeve of that uh, silk blouse you mentioned that had particularly intrigued you. Yeah, that's right. It was just absolutely striking and so beautiful. And then mm. we found ourselves then at the Crown Couture <laughs> and we were drawn to this incredible dress worn by Billy Portia to the Academy Awards, which we then discovered was also designed by (laughs) Giles Deacon. It was amazing. Initially, it was the print that made us do a double take because the Mm -hmm. collections weren't identical, but the color palette of the prints felt really familial between the earlier exhibit and this one. And once we realized it was the same designer, we also began to notice similarities in unusual gathering and details on the hem of the skirt that also felt very referential to the earlier blouse. It was really exciting to be able to tie the exhibits together and see the designer's work develop over time. Yeah, absolutely. It was just so cool to see the two exhibitions so closely together and and see that the two pieces really enrich the experience to have those two together. I agree with your earlier assessment, Tracy, that parts of the exhibit felt quite random, but there were, you know, still parts of the exhibit we definitely enjoyed. There was a section on panniers, those giant hip widening underskirt structures, which were popularized during Marie Antoinette's time in France. And it was quite something to behold to see these hip wideners in person. There were some standout modern pieces that were also shown with the historical pieces side by side. 
One was this incredible Moschino dress by Jeremy Scott that was a printed lace mini dress with an anime print on top of the lace and full panniers that was quite fabulous. So it had that super huge wide skirt and then only went down to like mid thigh. It was phenomenal. I also got very excited to see some exquisite work, pardon my French, but by Nicola Gasquier for Louis Vuitton up close as well. And Gasquier happens to be one of my favorite modern designers and seeing the garments up close was really special. One outfit in particular involved this embroidered traditionally men's coat from the time period with an embroidered waistcoat and it was styled with fancy silk boxers and sneakers. And it was worn the same way on the runway by a woman. And it was such a delight to see that more unusual take on the period fashion appreciated as well. Mm -hmm. Anything else that stood out to you at the exhibit, Tracy? There was one piece that I'd like to call out, which was near the end of the exhibition. And it was a Dior dress designed by Yves Saint Laurent in 1959, but worn by Bella Hadid to the Princess Trust Gala in 2022. Mm. And it was such a spectacular dress so modern looking and only by reading the label did you realise that it the dress is some 60 years old. The net wow. underpinning of the dress had been removed to give it a more modern line. And um, on her Instagram after the event, there's pictures of the dress she wore um, as well as it in its original design. And it's quite cool to see the two, the contrast. That was also so fabulous. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the Crown to Couture exhibit did finish on the 29th of October, so it's no longer available. But Tracy, you did some research and you said there are lots and lots of pictures of the exhibit online if you want to have a look. Yes, it's definitely been a well-attended exhibition. So there's lots and lots of pictures <laughs> to be found online. <laughs> the next day, and yes, we did this all in 48 hours, which is a bit crazy, but so much fun. Yes, it was. And day two was our V&A day. Our first stop at the Victorian Albert Museum, otherwise known as the V&A, in case you're an American like myself, uh, was the Divas exhibit. Tracy, you recommended our order of approach for the VNA exhibits. And I think that was a really good one. Yeah, it was lovely. We started the day at the Diva exhibition at the VNA, and it steps through divas over time, spanning the 19th century to now. Starting with some of the early prima donnas, opera singers, Victorian theatre stars, dancers, silent movie stars, female stars of Hollywood golden age, through to contemporary pop divas. The exhibition is accompanied by an incredible playlist that changes as you move through the exhibition. I love that part of it. The exhibition was two floors and honestly to me it felt kind of like two different exhibits. The lower level covered a lot of history focusing on how the concept of a diva, female performers and their chosen dress both reflected and influenced the feminist movement over time. That's section ends with Marilyn Monroe and on the second level it's 1960s onwards to modern day. Yes and I went to this exhibition in the summer and at the time my favourite dresses were the dress Carol Lombard wore in the 1934 film We're Not Dressing and the dress Kate mm. Blanchett wore as Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator but this time I was obsessed by the details of the Marilyn Monroe dress 
and it's a dress she wears in Some Like It Hot. And next to the dress, there is a clip of Monroe in Some Like It Hot singing in that dress. And the dress is in this black silk satin with silk fringing on it designed by Ori Kelly. The dress is long sleeves, a v-neck, a crossover, and this incredible shaping detail with pleats and darts that come from the waist, creating a diagonal shape. And the decorative buttons on top are placed in a slight curve off-centre, and a drop waist on the, on the dress as well. And that's where the fringing then starts. Lightly layered fringing. And to see the dress on the static, on the dress form, and then to mm. see its movement on the film really brings the, the fringing and the movement that that creates to life. Oh my gosh, it definitely did and really enhanced that. I so enjoyed the storytelling aspect of the lower floor and seeing and hearing the influence of all of these women on history. There was a section that covered showgirls including, of course, the infamous uh, Josephine Baker and had examples of several costumes. Seeing them in person was just as incredible as it must have been seeing them from a stage, if not more so. I always love a good theater costume and seeing how garments are designed to be able to be seen and to be impactful from such a far distance. Yes, absolutely. The difference between something that is to be seen on stage versus on film was quite striking. The upper floor of the exhibit covered so much that it was somehow less impactful than the lower parts for me. Notable, though, were several of Rihanna's outfits, including an Aliyah dress she wore when she was pregnant. And one of her, I think it was a Met Gala look by Balenciaga. But what really transformed it was a custom Stephen Jones diamond beanie. There was a Bob Mackie and Cher, and there was an absolutely fantastic Cher quote that said, all of us invent ourselves. Some of us have more imagination than others. <laughs> Tracy, what were your main takeaways or things that stood out from you from the upper part of the exhibit? Well, there was so much in like the Volvo pants worn by Janelle Monet, designed by mm. Duran Lantink, the green sculpted bustier designed by Izzy Miyake and worn by Grace Jones, the emerald green dress worn by Liza Minnelli and designed by Theodora Van Runkel. There was lots and lots to take in and appreciate. So if you would like to see the Diva exhibition at the V&A, it's on until April 24. So there's plenty of time to visit. There's also a Divas exhibit book that is available to buy online. We didn't feel the need to add it to our collections, but if you aren't able to attend the exhibit, that might be a good option to still get to see and read about everything. So after we did the Divas exhibit, we did have a lovely little lunch at the V&A using Tracy's All Access membership card. And then it was on to the absolutely incredible Chanel exhibit. So not to be confused with the New York Met Gala's recent Lagerfeld exhibit, this exhibit covered the life and work of Gabrielle Chanel herself, titled Gabrielle Chanel Fashion Manifesto, charting the establishment of the house for Chanel, starting with a hat from her millinery boutique in 1910 through to her final collection in 71, and looking at the evolution of her iconic design style throughout that time period. Now, Tracy, before we give our impression of this incredible, incredible exhibit, how many times have you gone to see this exhibit so far? Just to give everyone an understanding of how much there is to see there. Well, I've definitely <laughs> got my money's worth out of my membership. Um, my visit with you was my second visit to the exhibition and 
don't think it'll be my last. <laughs> we we were definitely a bit like kids in a candy store at this exhibit, ooing and awing, squeezing ourselves as close to the glass as possible to examine the garment construction, which was really incredible. I don't know about you, Tracy, but in my fashion history knowledge, I had never really read that Chanel was a master of construction. Instead, she's always mentioned alongside ease of movement and design and the use of knitwear and sportswear, etc. However, I quickly realized when we were looking at these garments that the ease that was so often discussed was really accomplished through a mastery of form, drape, fabric manipulation, and it was quite incredible. Yeah, absolutely. It was so incredible to see these pieces up close and how elegantly and beautifully a shape was made. And another thing we observed quickly in the exhibit is incredibly modern. All of the pieces were, except for maybe a few outfits slightly later in the ex exhibition where the print on the lining made it look perhaps slightly dated. Any of the garments on display could be put on a red carpet today and you would think they were the pinnacle of today's high fashion. Couldn't agree more. We also had a bit of a revelation during the exhibit because Tracy, you had come across this thing called the three-piece Chanel sleeve and you shared it with me at the very beginning as we're walking to the exhibit. So for every jacket sleeve, we were looking for the third secret seam and lo and behold, we spotted some. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So in Claire Schaefer's book, Couture Sewing, the Couture Cardigan Jacket, she mentions the three-piece Chanel sleeve. I need to say that the vent on the end of the sleeve or the part that holds the buttons is finished differently than on a tailored jacket sleeve. And in the, one of the last garment rooms in the exhibition, um, there's this double story mirrored room filled with Chanel suits spanning the post-World War II period until Chanel's death. And it was so breathtaking to see the evolution of different styles of suits, the fabrics and the multitude of colours that we used. And in the corner of the room was the neatest thing. There's a copy of a 1950s French L magazine where they had actually distributed a pattern for the Chanel suit. Can you imagine getting your hands on that? <laughs> they had it on display in a case and there laid out was the pattern, but sadly only two pieces in the sleeve. We were convinced nevertheless that this was a Chanel hallmark and confirmed it by investigating in detail many of the sleeves and the jackets in the room. <laughs> Indeed. And I will now only do sleeves in three pieces. No, I'm just kidding. But it, <laughs> it was so incredible to see. And we definitely made some friends as we walked through the exhibit, observing all of the little details. I wrote down that it was a construction feast for the eyes, aka if you're a garment making nerd like us, it was absolute heaven. It certainly was. Needless to say, we love the exhibit. The lighting was a bit challenging for photos. I think likely that was to encourage book sales. And we both did purchase the book, which is a great accompaniment to the exhibit. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Tracy, I'm going to make it hard here. If you had to pick just three looks in the exhibit, which would be your favorites and why? Why don't you start with the first one? I can't just choose three. <laughs> <laughs> I I think though, having been to it a couple of times, there are a few that I've been drawn to each time. And the first is a 1930s dress in printed silk. It's ivory mm. with soft black dots on it, but the bows, the pleats, the pockets, the darts, the interesting V shape made at the waist by these pleats make it so delicate and beautiful to look at. Oh, that was an incredible one. So my second would be a silk satin dress and jacket from early 30s. It's in an ivory, which makes the beautiful lines of applique, inserts and bows stand out so clearly. So you can really appreciate how beautifully executed it is. And then lastly, for my my three, I think I'd have to pick the pink suit worn by Lauren Bacall because this beautiful 1959 pink tweed suit has... Uh, a video on YouTube where Sue Clark takes a close up look of the suit and you mm. can see, see details that you can't necessarily see um, when it's on display, such as the two zips in the skirt, the lining in the back panel for extra strength to stop it, stop it seating, the wide seams for alterations. Um, the jacket with a chain in the hem to add weight so that it hangs straight. So I think seeing that suit after watching the YouTube video was really special. Oh, and we'll definitely have to link that so that everyone can see gorgeous details because that's a great point that having it on display, you can't always see that that really intimate view of the garment. Absolutely. So the same question to you, Rebecca, which top three? If you could only choose three. <laughs> <laughs> so, so challenging to choose, but I think I think I have three that are just absolutely glued to my brain still. The first was this drop-waisted gold lace layered dress. Mm-hmm. It was from 1922, made out mm-hmm. of lace, metal thread, and silk lame. The ID cards were very helpful at this exhibit. Your tip, Tracy, I started photographing them so I could remember such fabulous details. So thank you for that recommendation. Um, that dress was the most stunning thing I had ever seen as it appeared so simple, yet on closer inspection, it really wasn't. The top layer was this gorgeous lace, but there was a lining with embroidery under it that actually peeked out of the top of the dress and gave it kind of a shimmer. And as the lining changed under the lace, it gave different parts of the dress more dimension and depth. Mm -hmm. It was really stunning, so modern, and it still blows my mind that it's over a hundred years old yet could be worn on a red carpet today and you would just have no idea. Mm, yeah. It is old as mad, isn't it? It just it's it's so, so modern and fabulous. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what's your second piece? The second piece would have to be, well, I guess two of them, um, a pair of dresses that were made for the Lady Minaru Foley. I'm probably butchering that. A young widow who loved ballroom dancing. Mm-hmm. So one was a lovely light kind of ballet pink shade and the other was in this shocking cobalt blue. Both dresses were constructed out of layered vertical sequins. So they almost look like scales mm-hmm. and they were layered on top of a tulle bodice and skirt. And the sequins had this graduated step up 
from the pleated tulle on one side of the skirt, allowing one of the sides to fly up and truly dance as you moved with the wear. Mm-hmm. And both of the dresses also had more of kind of a camisole top, one more of kind of a tank style, the other a square neck. Again, which I also felt like something that could be easily worn today. And those were also about 100 years old. Spectacular. And the last thing I would say uh, would be one of the oldest suits in the collection. There was a suit that was, quote, neither knitted nor woven. Instead, it consisted of multicolored woolen threads laid down and then sewn over in a zigzag pattern. The suit was supposedly from Gabrielle Chanel's own collection and the different techniques used to finish the garment, such as fringing and blanket stitches, plus some crochet felt very experimental and crafty and it felt very much like it could be a modern recycling upcycling project very akin to the upcycled denim pieces we saw in the 30 years of London fashion exhibit. I absolutely just love thinking that towards the end of her life Chanel was playing around with different recycling reuse methods which is the most fabulous thing possible, in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm sure we have convinced you must see this exhibition. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And while it's on until the end of February in 2024, the best way to see it, if you haven't already booked tickets, is as a member because I I think it's completely sold out. Well, even even though I live in Germany, Tracy, I think I'd get a membership, go back to that exhibit. <laughs> but if you can't visit and make it to see the exhibit in person, again, there is a wonderful book attached to the exhibit. There is. The exhibition book is called Gabrielle Chanel, and it's a truly beautiful book. And it's incredible photos of some of the exhibition pieces. And it looks at the cut and construction of the garments. And it definitely did give some views that we weren't able to capture due to the lighting in the rooms. Really, we'll be able to capture most of the feel of the exhibit through that book. It's definitely a great addition to any collection. Agreed, agreed. So the last thing we did that day in Rebecca's whirlwind tour of London, (laughs) 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 and because we did do so much, was we attended a talk at the V&A with Tom Brown. We did. The talk was to commemorate the 20 year anniversary of the Tom Brown label. And in case you are unfamiliar, Tom Brown is an American designer famous for, uh, he he would cringe at the words, but a more shrunken proportion suit, I think is the best way to describe it and his love of gray. He was releasing a book called his monograph, which I had to look up the definition of that word. It's basically (laughs) a very British term from what I can tell that is used somewhat unnecessarily to describe a book on a single subject. So he was releasing a book on his collections over the past 20 years, and they were calling it his monograph. So there was a short conversation between Tom Brown and Charlie Porter, who is a British fashion critic, and that was quite nice. And then we had the opportunity to purchase the book and have it signed and have a little chit chat. (laughs) It was a good discussion. And there were a lot of American anecdotes, which of course I enjoyed. Yeah, like the shoe dipping. (laughs) This is a reference Tom Brown made to the fact that he grew up in a family with seven kids and his mother bronzed all of their first pair of shoes. And he took that idea forward in 
2013 and dipped the classic wingtip shoe in silver. So given Rebecca nodded away to the shoe dipping reference, I should standard American tradition. <laughs> I mean, I did know what it was, but I honestly don't know anybody that has ever done that. But I guess I'm aware it is a thing that can be done. <laughs> but apparently not everyone thinks that all Americans just bronze their kid shoes, which is quite comical. Yeah, because then I asked my brother-in-law and he was like, no, I'm no It's idea definitely not. About. No, I think it's a Midwestern thing, if anything. What I enjoyed most about the chat was actually perhaps Tom Brown reflecting back on his career and choosing to commemorate it in a way that wasn't supposed to be fashiony. I guess. He mentioned that a couple of times. And he made a very specific point of saying that the book that he was releasing was designed by Irma Boom. And if you will indulge me for a moment, I'd love to tell you why that's so exciting. Irma Boom is perhaps the most famous book designer in, I'd say, modern history. And you may be wondering, do people design books for a living? And why, yes, you do, especially if you're Irma Boom. She has designed over 300 books, was the youngest recipient of the Gutenberg Prize. Yes, just like the printing press. And she is an absolutely fascinating life story for how she became the queen of books. It was rather inadvertent. But I'll summarize as, according to Wikipedia, quote, Boom's books take on an architectural form and she views them as a unique medium for the delivery of information. In the past, made her own ink for books, had her own paper made. Essentially, the book may contain art, but also the book itself is art. So rant over on <laughs> Irma Boom, but she's amazing. <laughs> Tom Brown had said that he wanted his book to be more a dictionary instead of a fashion book. And by getting Irma Boom to design it, it really did take on a new life of its own. The paragraphs are justified in a kind of unusual way. The lettering is gray and random trifolds in the books really force you to stop open and appreciate the contents in a way that a standard book would not. I can stop talking about the book, Tracy, but I'm overjoyed to have added to my collection my very first Irma Boom design book. And I do think despite Tom Brown saying he didn't want a fashiony book, I think that by choosing her as a book designer, it shows how he views his own work and his designs, and that it is more from that art standpoint, which I think is very very aligned with where he is with his collections and his designs at this point. And Tracy, any other takeaways from the Tom Brown event other than when I was smacking you in the arm as we were leaving because Daniel Levy was walking by? <laughs> it was a it was it was a fantastic event and it yeah, I definitely learned more about Tom Brown. <laughs> it was a good evening. What a whirlwind, fabulous inspiration for stellar fashion exhibits and a great fashion discussion and celebration, Tracy. It was. And we hope that you have found this special edition episode as inspiring as we did. And for more photos and links, check out the show notes on threadedtogetherpodcast.com or find us on social media. 
We'll be back next month in our usual time slot, which is the last Tuesday of the month, with a great episode on holiday dressing. And we hope we will see you then. In the meantime, I'm Tracy. And I'm Rebecca. And this has been a special edition of Threaded Together Podcast. We'll see you next time. Looking forward to our next episode in a month. Make sure you give us a thumbs up on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify. You can find more details on what we discussed today in the show notes below or on threadedtogetherpodcast.com. And for more behind the scenes and regular updates, you can find us on all social media channels at Threaded Together Podcast.